Chapter Fourteen of the Poor Little Rich Girl. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Susan Umpleby. The Poor Little Rich Girl by Eleanor Gates. Chapter Fourteen. Why had Miss Royal, sly reptile that she was, scuttled away without so much as a good-bye? "'Oh, dear,' sighed Gwendolen. "'Just as soon as one trouble's finished, another one starts.' "'We must get on her track,' declared the policeman, patrolling to and fro anxiously. "'And let's hurry,' urged the man who makes faces. "'It's coming night in the city.' and all these lights'll be needed soon very soon indeed for even as he spoke it happened with a sharp click instantly the pink glow was blotted out as suddenly thick blackness shut down except straight ahead there gwendolen made out an oblong patch of sky in which were a few dim stars never mind went on the little old gentleman soothingly, because we're close to the place where there's light all the time. All the time? repeated Gwendolen, surprised. It's where light grows. Grows? Well, it's where candlelight grows. Candlelight, she cried. You mean, oh, it's where my father comes sometimes will he be there now only the bird can tell us that then she understood jane's last gasping admonition get you know what out of the way a certain person mustn't talk to it if she does she'll find it was the doctor's hand that steadied her as she hurried forward in the darkness it was a big hand and she was able to grasp only two fingers of it. But that clinging hold made her feel that their friendship was established. She was not at all surprised at her complete change of attitude toward him. It seemed to her now as if he and she had always been on good terms. The others were near. She could hear the tinkle-tankle of the piper's pipes, the scuff of Puffy's paws, the labored breathing of the little old gentleman as he trudged, the heavy tramp-tramp of the policeman. She made her bare feet travel as fast as she could, and kept her look steadily ahead on the dim stars, and saw, moving from one to another of them in quick darts, now up, now down, a small something. She did not instantly guess what it was, flitting across that half-darkened sky until she heard the wild beating of tiny pinions. "'Why, it's a bird!' she exclaimed. "'A bird?' repeated the policeman, all eagerness. "'Must be the bird,' declared the man who makes faces triumphantly. It was. Even in the poor light her eager eyes made out the bumps on that small feathered head, and saw that on the down-drooping tail, nicely balanced and gleaming whitely, was a lump. Remembering what she had heard about that bit of salt, she ran forward. 
at her approach his wings half lifted and as she reached out to him pointing a small finger he sprang sidewise alighting upon it oh i'm glad you've come he panted he was no larger than a canary and seemed to be brown a sparrow brown prejudiced against him she had been he had tattled about her worse about her father yet seeing him now so tiny and ruffled and frightened she liked him she brought him to a level with her eyes what's the matter she asked soothingly i'm afraid he thrust out his head pointing look she looked ahead the tops of the grass blades were swaying this way and that in a winding path as if from the passage of some crawling thing she tried to get me out of the way oh tell me where is my father why of course they say he's he did not finish or if he did she heard no end to the sentence of a sudden her face had grown almost painfully hot as a great yellow light flamed against it a light that shimmered up dazzlingly from the surface of a broad treeless field this field was like none that she had ever imagined for its acres were neatly sodded with mirrors the little company was on the beveled edge of the field to halt them and conspicuously displayed was a sign it read keep off the glass keep off the glass read gwendolen and i don't wonder cause we'd crack it we don't crack it we cross it reminded the man who makes faces and stepped boldly upon the gleaming plate my my exclaimed the piper ain't there a fine crop this year a fine crop gwendolen glanced down and saw for the first time that the mirrored acres were studded flower-like with countless silk-shaded candles what curious candles they were they did not grow horizontally as she had imagined they must but upright and candle-like above their sticks which were of brass silver and decorated porcelain was a flame ruddy of tip sharply pointed but fat and yellow at the base where the soft white wax fed the fire at the other end of the sticks as like the top light as if it were a perfect reflection was a second flame these were candles that burned at both ends and this was the region she had traveled so far to find her heart beat so wildly that it stirred the plaid of the little gingham dress say i hear a quacking announced puppy staring up into the sky gwendolen heard it too it seemed to come from across the field of double-ended candles she peered that way to where a heavy fringe of trees walled the farther side greenily she saw him first while the others excepting the bird were still staring skyward at the start what she discerned was only a faint outline on the tree wall the outline of a man broad-shouldered tall but a trifle stooped it was faint for the reason that it blended with the trees for the man was garbed in green 
As he advanced into the field, the chorus of quacks grew louder, and presently Gwendolyn caught certain familiar expressions. "'Oh, don't bother me. Sit up straight, miss. Sit up straight.' This a rather deep quack. "'My dear child, you have no sense of time, and what on earth ever put such a question into your head?' She concluded that the expressions were issuing from the large, bell-shaped horn which was pointed her way over one shoulder of the man in green. The talking-machine to which the horn was attached, a handsome mahogany affair, he carried on his back. It was not unlike a hand-organ, which made Gwendolyn wonder if he was not the man who makes faces brother. She glanced back inquiringly at the little old gentleman. Either the stranger was a relation, and not a popular one, or else the quacking expressions annoyed, for the man who makes faces was scowling, and, "'Cavil! Criticism! Correction!' he scolded, half to himself. He and Green now began to move about and gather silk-shaded candles, bending this way and that to pluck them, and paying not the slightest attention to the group of watchers in plain view. But not one of these was indifferent to his presence, and all were acting in a most incomprehensible manner. With one accord, doctor and piper, bear and policeman, face-maker and bird, were rubbing hard at the palm of one hand. There being no trees close by, the men used the sole of a shoe, while Puffy raked away at one paw with the claws of the others, and the bird pecked a foot with his beak. And yet Gwendolyn could not believe that it was really he. The policeman drew near. "'You've heard of Hobson's choice?' he inquired in a low voice. "'Perhaps this is Hobson, or Sam Hill, or Punch, or Great Scott.' The man who makes faces shook his head. "'You don't know him,' he answered because recently, when the bears were bothering him a lot in his street, I made him a long face. The man in green was pausing where the candles clustered thickest. Gwendolen, still doubtful, went forward to greet him. "'How do you do, sir?' she began, curtsying. His face was long, as the man who makes faces had pointed out very long, and pale, and haggard. Between his sunken temples burned his dark-rimmed eyes. His nose was thin, and over it the skin was drawn so tightly that his nostrils were pinched. His lips were pressed together, driving out the blood. His cheeks were hollow, and shadowed bluely by a day-old beard. He had on a hat, yet she was able, curiously enough, to note that his hair was sparse over the top of his head, and streaked with gray. Nevertheless, there was no denying that she recognized him dimly. Something nodded in her throat, at seeing weariness, anxiety, even torture, in those deep-set eyes. "'I think I've met you before somewhere,' she faltered. "'Your... your long face!' The bird was perched on the forefinger of one hand. She proffered the other. 
He did not even look at her. "'My hands are full,' he declared. And again, "'My hands are full.' She glanced at them and saw that each was indeed full of paper money. Moreover, the green of his coat was the green of new crisp bills, while his buff-colored trousers were made of yellowish ones, carefully creased. He was literally made of money. Now she felt reasonably certain of his identity, yet she determined to make even more sure. Would you mind just turning around for a moment? she inquired. But I'm busy today, he protested. I can't be bothered with little girls. I'll see you when you're eight years old. Nevertheless, he faced about accommodatingly. The moment he turned his back, he displayed a detail of his dress that had not been visible before. This detail, at first glance, appeared to be a smart leather piping. On second glance it seemed a sort of shawl-strap contrivance, by which the talking machine was suspended. But in the end she knew what it was, a leather harness, an exceedingly handsome, silver-buckled, hand-sewed harness. She went around him and raised a smiling face, caught at a hand, too and felt her own happy tears make cool streaks down her cheeks. "'I I don't see you often,' she said. But, "'But I know you just the same. You're... you're my father!' At that he glanced down at her, stooped, picked a candle, and held it close to her face. "'Poor little girl,' he said. "'Poor little girl!' Poor little rich girl, she prompted, noting that he had left out the word. She heard a sob. The next moment, rustle, 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 and at her feet the gay-topped candles were bent this way and that, as Miss Royal, with an artful serpent smile on her bandaged face, writhed her way swiftly between them. Dearie, she hissed, making an affectionate half-coil about Gwendolen. Do you think I'm going to say to you? Gwendolen only shook her head. Guess, darling, encouraged the governess, coiling herself a little closer. Maybe you're going to say, use your dictionary, ventured Gwendolen. Oh, dearie, chided Miss Royal managing a very good blush for a snake. But now Gwendolen guessed the reason for the other's sudden display of affection. For that scaly head was rising out of the grass, inch by inch, and those glittering serpent eyes were fixed upon the bird. Unable to move, he watched her, plumage on end, round eyes fairly starting. Cheep! Cheep! At his cry of terror, the doctor interposed. "'I think we'd better take the bird out of here,' he said. "'The less noise, the better.' And with that, he lifted the small frightened thing from Gwendolen's finger. Miss Royal, quite thrown off her poise, sank hissing to the ground. "'My neuralgia's worse than ever this evening,' 
she complained, affecting not to notice his interference. Huh, he grunted. Keep away from bargain counters. The piper came jangling up. That snake belongs in her case, he declared, addressing the doctor. More than once Gwendolyn had wondered why the piper had burdened himself, to all appearances uselessly and foolishly, with the various pieces of lead pipe. But now, what wily forethought she granted him! For with a few quick flourishes of the wrench, she saw him join them, end to end, to form one length. This he threw to the ground, after which he gave a short, sharp whistle. In answer to it, the bird fluttered down, and entered one end of the pipe, giving, as he disappeared from sight, one faint cheep. Miss Royal heard. Her scaly head glittered up once more. Her beady eye shone. Her tongue darted hate. Then, little by little, that long black body began to move toward the pipe. A moment, and she entered it. Another, and the last foot of rustling serpent had disappeared. Then out of the farther end of the pipe bounced the bird. Whereat the piper sprang to the bird's side, produced a nut, and screwed it on the pipe end. "'How's that?' he cried triumphantly. The pipe rolled partly over. A muffled voice came from it, railing at him. "'Be careful what you do, young man. I saw you had that bonnet of mine.' "'Oh, can a snake crawl backwards?' demanded Gwendolyn excitedly. The piper answered with a harsh laugh and scrambling the length of the lead pipe fell to hammering in a plug miss royal was a prisoner the bird bounced very high that's a feather in your cap he declared joyously advancing to the piper and suiting the action to the word pulled a tiny plume from his own wing fluttered up and thrust it under the band of the other's greasy headgear "'Think how that governess has treated me,' growled Puffy, "'when I was in your nursery, and was old and a little worn out, "'how I would have appreciated care and repair.' "'The employment agency for her,' said the piper. "'I'll attend to that,' added the policeman. Gwendolyn's father had been gathering candles, and had seemed not to see what was transpiring. Now, as if he was satisfied with his load, he suddenly started away in the direction he had come. His firm stride jolted the talking machine not a little. The quacking cries recommenced. "'Please to pay me. Let me sell you. Let me borrow. Won't you hire? Quack, quack, quack. After him hurried the others, in an excited group. The piper led it, his plumbing tools jangling, his pig poke a-swing. And Gwendolyn saw him grin back over a shoulder craftily, then lay hold of her father and tighten a strap. She trudged in the rear. She had found her father, and he could only see the candles he sought, and the money in his grasp. 
She was out in the open with him once more, where she was free to gamble and shout. Yet he was bound by his harness, and heavily laden. "'I might just as well be home,' she said to Puffy, disheartened. "'Wish your father'd let me sharpen his ears,' whispered the man who makes faces. He shifted the hand-organ to the other's shoulder. The doctor had a basket on his arm. He peered into it. "'I haven't a thing about me,' he declared, "'but a bread-pill.' "'How would a glass of soda-water do?' suggested the policeman in an undertone. "'Why, of course!' It had happened before that the mere mention of a thing brought that thing swiftly. Now it happened again. For immediately Gwendolyn heard the rush and bubble and brawl of a narrow mountain stream. Next, looking down from the summit of a gentle rise, she saw the smoky windings of the unbottled soda. The doctor was a man of action. Though the policeman had made his suggestion only a second before, here was the former already leaning down to the stream, and, having dipped, was walking in the midst of the little company, glass in hand. Gwendolen rushed forward. "'Father!' she called. "'Please have a drink!' Her father shook his head. "'I'm not thirsty,' he declared, utterly ignoring the proffered glass. "'I—I I was afraid he wouldn't,' sighed Gwendolen, head down again, and scuffing bare feet in the cool, damp grass of the stream-side, yet not enjoying it. The lights had changed. The double-ended candles had disappeared. Filling the land once more with a golden glow were countless tapers, electric, gas, and kerosene. She was back where she had started, threading the trees among which she had danced with joy. But she was far from dancing now. "'Let's not give up hope,' said a voice, the doctor's. He was holding up the glass before his face, to watch the bubbles creaming upon its surface. "'There may be a sudden turn for the better.' Before she could draw another breath, here was the turn, a sharp one, and she felt a keen wind in her eyes, blown in gusts, as if by the wings of giant butterflies. The cloud that held the wind lay just ahead, a pinky mass that stretched from sky to earth. The bird turned his dark eyes upon Gwendolen from where he sat, high and safe on the doctor's shoulder. "'I think her little journey's almost done,' he said. There was a rich canary note in his voice. "'Oh, goody!' she cried. "'You mean you have a solution?' asked the little old gentleman. "'A solution?' called back the piper. "'Well?' A moment's perfect stillness. Then, "'It's simple,' said the bird. Now his voice was strangely like the doctor's. "'I suppose you might call it a salt solution.' His last three words began to run through Gwendolen's mind. A salt solution, a salt solution, a salt solution, as regularly as the pulse that throbbed in her throat. Yes, 
the doctor's voice now breathless low tremulous with anxiety if we want to save her am i her interrupted gwendolen and again somebody sobbed it must be done there isn't anything to cry about declared gwendolen stoutly she felt hopeful even buoyant it was all novel and interesting the doctor began by making grabs at the lump of salt on the bird's tail the lump loosened suddenly he caught it between his palms after which he began to roll it precisely as he had rolled the dough at the pillory and as the salt worked into a more perfect ball it slowly browned gwendolen clapped her hands my father won't know the difference she cried you get my idea exactly answered the bird the doctor uncovered the pill basket selected a fine round toasted example of his own baking and presented it to the man who makes faces presented a second to gwendolen thence went from one to another of the little company whereat everyone fell to eating at once gwendolen's father looked round the circle of picnickers as if annoyed by the crunching but when the doctor held out the brown salt he took it examined it critically turned it over and over then lifted it and bit pretty slim lunch this he observed he ate heartily until the last salt crumb was gone then i'm thirsty he declared where's instantly the doctor proffered the glass and the other drank in one great gasping mouthful ah breathed gwendolen and felt a grateful coolness on her lips as if she had slaked her own thirst the next moment her father turned and she saw that the change had already come first of all he looked down at his hands caught sight of the crumpled bills and attempted to stuff them hurriedly into his pocket but his pockets were already wedged tight with silk-shaded candles he reached round and fed the bills into the mahogany case of the talking machine next he emptied his pockets of the double-ended candles frowned at them and threw them to one side to wilt last of all he spied a bit of leather strap and pulled at it impatiently whereupon with a clear ring of its silver mountings his harness fell about his feet he smiled and stepped out of it as out of a cast-off garment this quick movement shook up the talking machine and at once voices issued from the great horn shrilly protesting into his ear quack quack kommt fraulein un fee stupide get up honk 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 and then rippling upward to the accompaniment of dancing feet a scale on a piano he peered into the horn when did i come by this he demanded well i shan't carry it another step and moving his shoulders as if they ached let the talking machine slip sidewise to the glass there was a crank attached to one side of the machine this he grasped and while he continued to stuff bills into the mahogany box with one hand he turned the crank with the other 
Gwendolen had often marveled at the way bands of music, voices of men and women, chimes of clocks, and bugle calls could come out of the self-same place. Now this was made clear to her, for as her father whirled the crank, out of the horn, in a little procession, waddled the creatures who had quacked so persistently. There were six of them in all. One wore patent leather pumps. One had a riding whip. The third was in motor livery, buff and blue. Another waddled with an air unmistakably French. Feathers formed a boa about her neck. The next advanced firmly, a metronome swinging on a slender pince-nez chain. The last of all carried a German dictionary. Her father observed them gloomily. "'That's the kind of ducks and drakes I've been making out of my money,' he declared. The procession quacked loudly, as if glad to get out, and waddled toward the stream. "'Why!' cried Gwendolen. "'There's Monsieur Telligan, and my riding-master, and the chauffeur, and my French teacher, and my music teacher, and my jer—' His eyes rested upon her, then and she saw that he knew her. "'Oh, Daddy!' the tender name she loved to call him. "'Little daughter! Little daughter!' She felt his arms about her, pressing her to him. His pale face was close. "'When my precious baby is strong enough,' he began. "'I'm strong now!' She gripped his fingers. "'We'll take a little jaunt together.' "'We must have Mother with us, Daddy. Oh, dear Daddy!' "'We'll see Mother soon,' he said. "'Very soon.' She brushed his cheek with searching fingers. "'I think we'd better start right away,' she declared. "'Cause isn't this a raindrop on your face?' End of chapter 14